This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. And welcome to the Three Lions podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England football team supporters podcast where we try and look at all the aspects of the England team. Be it the senior men, the women or the youngsters. If you're a new listener, hello. If you're a regular, thank you for continuing to listen to my ramblings. Uh, Now, the most recent episode previewed the She Believes Cup, which the Lionesses are looking to retain this month. Thank you very much for all your kind comments on it. And we'll revisit the competition later this month to see how they got on. We'll also touch on the Nations League draw, which by the time you listen to this will have taken place. So we'll dissect that next time. Moving on to this episode. In the past, I've been fortunate enough to sit down with some people that have worked with the England team, be it Gary Lewin, uh, the physio, be it Peter Taylor, previous England manager. Now, once again, I have spoken to someone who has had first-hand experience of working with England. And when I say England or the England team, who or what comes to mind? The starting 11, the squad, manager, physio, trainer, kit man, communications manager, coach driver. There are so many pieces of the puzzle that need to be put together for the team to function. Now, I'm sure 11 to 15 players could organise themselves to play a game with someone. But pre and post-match, who's going to ensure their nutritional and dietary requirements are catered for? The England head chef, of course. Now, I sat down with Tim Diath in a busy restaurant, where else, to have a chat. I apologise for some of the background noise, but I've done my best to edit it out. And I hope you enjoy what he has to say. I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Tim Diath. Tim. Hi there, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. Thank you for joining us. No problem. Let's get it out of the way first. The surname is spelled death, as it were, but it's pronounced Diaz. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's basically from the ancestors. It goes back to uh, Belgium, where we traced it to, and it's from a town sort of like called D of Ath. So that's why it's uh, it's abbreviated to, to D of Ath. So, yeah, but it's quite common in England, so it's not as, not as uncommon as you think. Oh. Well, I'm yet to see it on the back of a, uh, an England shirt. Yeah, I don't think it ever will be. <laughs> Well, you were England head chef between 2009 and 2017? Yes, yep, yep, about that time, yes. I was, uh, How did all that come about? I, um, I basically, I was at West Ham uh, as team chef there at West Ham, and during my time at West Ham, when James Franco Zola took over, there was also a guy there called Christian Latanzo, who was um, like a, not an assistant manager, but just one of um, Zola's men. He was working for England at the time under Capello. Oh, yeah. And they were looking for a new chef at the time because they just wanted to have a little bit more of a, a change or, or just something different. So so basically, um, I went for an interview um, with the FA um, and basically got the job, So which I kept um, for all those years while I was still working at West Ham as well. 
So, um, so, so joint in conjunction with each other. Yeah, yeah. So whenever whenever there was an international break, I would go away and do my stuff with England, and then obviously come back and then start back at West Ham. So what what does an interview for being a chef involve? Um, to be fair, it was it was um, more of a um, just to look at who I am as a person, whether I would fit into the FA um, and what I was doing, and what I could change or what I could improve. Um, and, and go from there really so it was it was basically quite an easy interview um, and I had a quick interview with Capello as well um, but really and truthfully it was it was quite an easy process because of my background is Italian cooking anyway so so my my sort of Italian cooking sort of helped out straight away from getting on with Capello as well so. I've heard that he was a little bit different in his his attitudes would that be? Um, I wouldn't say different in his attitude in, in his methods it was it was just um, an Italian way of doing things um, rather than an English way of doing things. So even down to food and things like that, it would be that he, he didn't like players having uh, tomato ketchup, um, which when you explain it to him, um, it wasn't the fact of that everybody had tomato ketchup. It was like probably a couple of them had ketchup, but then they could have two litres of olive oil if they wanted to. So it wasn't. it was a case of trying to explain to him about English cultures of those kind of things like the mm. simple things which people do enjoy um, and it doesn't really affect any anybody's play anyway really to, to having a little bit of catch up on, uh, on you know on a, on a scrambled eggs or, or poached eggs or, or something like that so it was it wasn't it wasn't that difficult it was um, again his, his initial standard of foods is with Italians is, is fantastic so it was just raising the bar and, and bringing more Homegrown, organic um, sort of foods, rather than fried foods and things like that, as well. So, so it was quite a good good process of of, of doing it. I had a, a blank canvas really because the food before was was good. Don't get me wrong, it was good, but it was of a different to what moving forward with football is. Cause it's all about nutrition now, about you know proteins and not having too many carbs and uh, and just building a, a dietary requirements around those sort of things really. Because I mean, historically, England and Football and, and food, as especially going back to I guess around the the '66 World Cup time, it was very much sort of fry up and yeah. and I guess moving forwards as a lot of people talk of pasta. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, a way of changing things going forward. Then was it? I, th- I think it, I think it was like the initial. It was a massive change when I first went in there. It literally was a pasta station um, before a game. Uh, again, when I first went into football, that's what it was about. It was all about getting the carbs into your body um, before a game so sort of Wednesday, Thursday, Friday would be carb loading to get ready for a game whereas now it's completely different you know they are they're all athletes they're all live on a protein diet now protein and vitamin diet um, very rarely touch carbs now um, unless they're in a situation where they they are playing game after game after game where you just need carbs to to, uh, to fuel yourself really but it is now a protein sort of diet which is why they're so so lean and and, uh, have got no weight on them at all so they are literally athletes and that's what keeps them fit now well you went to two world cups and two european championships is that right yeah three euros and two world cups so that was south africa and brazil yeah yeah. both very different from here in england what was preparation like for that and sort of different foods over there do you have to We'll test them or something? We um, we basically do, what, what people don't realise what we do is we do um, a lot of recce. The FA are very, very good at um, 
preparation. So the preparation for, for things, for World Cups, Euro Championships, even games, is, you know, is people don't realise what goes on, whereas you have a group of people go out, so you'll have basically two or three policemen will go out with you. Uh, they're the ones that do the stadium security, check the stadiums, check all the, the, the legalities for that sort of stuff. Then you'll have... Um, Michelle, who is the used to be the, the 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 main boss at the FA for me, so she was like the controller of the first team. So she would go out. Then you would have Gary Lewin go out, who's the physio. Uh, you possibly have another uh, physio go out as well, depending on what state of play the actual hotel would have been. If it was a good hotel, bad hotel. Um, then you'd have um, anything from um, me going out there. Um, you'd also have anybody that was in any division of the football so not so much the football side of things because that was all okay but the actual basis around the football you'd have a representation from each department so that when you actually go to the hotel on the actual day before a game or the two days before a game you know exactly where everything is you know exactly where like for me you know where the kitchens are what they'll they already know the menus they'll already know that I'm coming they'll always or know that they've got to give me two or three people to help me so the planning was was unbelievably good uh, in that respect, and still is today. I still look, I still look back at it with good memories now. Not bad. You know I mean, so, but I don't, I don't miss it. But it was was a good, was a good time, especially the World Cups. I mean, doing the World Cup, you know, that was being there for again, like the even the South African World Cup, or oh, more so the Brazil one. I mean, going that distance. I mean, we'd done like four records on on uh, Brazil, going there, just making sure it was okay, the whole lot, and then playing in different places like Manaus you know when we played a game over there and trying to get food there was was difficult um, we had to fly a lot of food from, from where we were in Cocorocabana Beach around there fly it with us to take there because Manaus was not a not a good place to uh, to find foods and to try and keep people without having bad bellies bad stomachs infections all that sort of stuff yeah. I mean you know, it's, a, it's a big big operation um, and again even down to food that we produced you'd still get FIFA coming around they take samples as well, as well because if you ever got anybody sick they would have you know parts of the food that would um, that they could test to see if that was because if you had to pull a game off you know stop yeah. a game through that you could you could sort of find Much like out any regular high street yeah, restaurant yeah, yeah, I guess yeah, yeah okay. exactly the same exactly the same there's lots of things that the public don't know that goes on to 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 fuel a team and to and to keep them going, really, because it is literally, again, straight after a game. You imagine when you finish a game, so we're playing Italy in Italy, and you finish a game and it's 11 o'clock at night, you've got a few of the players after the after the, um, the game, then you've got to get them onto a bus, then you've got to get them onto a plane, then you've got to get them back to England, then back to their back to their places where they live, all that sort of stuff. So, But all that time they're doing that, they're all they're all coming down off of playing football, and they want, they want fueling, food, Nutrition, um, rehydrating, everything. So it's a it's a it's a constant battle to to feed them and to to rehydrate them. So you're not not really mixing with the players initially, and you can't away from the players um, until dinner time. Not not really. I mean, <clears throat> it's funny because the 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 restaurant becomes like the the vocal point for everybody to meet. So they would have um, we changed the format where we started having five meals a day. So it was becoming like a breakfast, then have a, a 10 o'clock snack, then they go and train, then they have lunch, then they have an afternoon snack, then they have an evening meal as well. But these are all small amounts of food and all protein based, so never put any weight on. So the actual restaurant became 
the restaurant, the games room, it all became one combined room. So like if they wanted, area. Yeah, yeah, so if they wanted to chill out, they could just come there. So you would see the players quite a lot at the time. Um, but again, the, the the one thing they did look forward to was was eating, you know, because the boredom in their room sometimes um, used to get to them, and they would always look forward to having food, you know. So it was like a highlight of the day, really. And did you do you cover drinks as well, or is it just your food, just your side of things? Yeah, no, we do. Um, again, there was always like a nutritionist that would come with us or give us advice on what to do. So we would always have like smoothie stations, drink stations. Um, never allowed to have fizzy drinks, anything like that. It was all literally organic grown stuff. Um, smoothies for breakfast, smoothies for lunch, and smoothies for evening, um, which always went down well. Um, but again, we used to put out a large variety of, of, of that sort of stuff, and they could also mix and match and make their own. We have like, these things called Nutribullets now, which a lot of people have at home. Um, basically, you can throw anything into oh, yeah, that. The blender. Yeah, yeah, so you can throw in all your fruits, your yogurts, um, some apple juices stuff like that so you can make enough any, any drink you want out of those and they're, they're so easy to use um, and the players had them at the club level as well so so they would be used to using those as well so we used to set up a bank of, of Nutribullets Nutri so they could just literally help themselves wherever they wanted to and you mentioned like organic food there and sort of leads me on to kind of vegetarianism and, and veganism and I think is it Raheem Sterling is a, a vegan um no, Raheem was, was always uh, a fairly normal eater. Oh, I apologise, uh, Raheem. No, 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 he might be now. Right. Uh, obviously, since I've finished. But um, a lot of players do change to, to vegan. Um, just because it does make the body feel better. It, it uh, rehydrates the body better. Um, obviously, you feel better um, by eating those sort of foods. So, so a lot of them do try it and a lot of them stick to it. But there is, there is now in the Premiership, Championship, there's a lot of people that are vegans now. Um, not so much in my era of England because my sort of era was like first when I first started it was sort of Frank Lampard, Steven Gerrard, uh, David Beckham, all those sort of players, and and basically we were just trying to change. Uh, it was like a transition period of of changing the diet um, to becoming no pastas, more proteins, and more healthy organic options. Um, and by the time that we actually finished doing it all, um, everything was organic, everything. So it was all all fresh products uh, and good quality things. Depending on, obviously, what countries we were in. But again, most countries have got the same facilities as what we've got. So it was, it was quite a good, good, good setup that we had. You mentioned the big names there, Stevie G and mm. Frank Lampard, David Beckham. Any favourite foods that they would always ask for? Um, to be fair, I mean, a lot of them are fairly plain eaters. You know, I mean, there was never anybody that was really overeating or... Favoritism because we had so much food options. Um, the diet was quite a big, big, big dietary requirement. So, so we had such a choice. So we would have anything from four or five or six main courses. But when I say six main courses, it wouldn't be sauces and all that sort of stuff. It would be like a, a fillet steak, uh, a grilled chicken, nice fresh fishes, all stuff like that. So it was a massive choice to choose from. The only thing that I would say with a lot of the players is, is that. After a game, they always wanted to have something very simple because they're, they're, they're on their diets every every single day. So after a game, on a game day, they would prefer to have something like a pizza, um, maybe a curry, a healthy curry. Um, sometimes we do fat chips, um, big big fat chips, so the, the fat didn't saturate. Um, but apart from that, not not really. I mean, they were all true professionals. I mean, you know. 
my first my first job that I first had with England was obviously feeding twenty three of of them, which was you know they were all international players and they were all superstars at the time. You know, so so me walking in to do that was quite a quite a feat really. Um, but again, just changing changing the ways the FA did things and just up in the standards. So. Did you feel the pressure walking in there for the first time? Um, I didn't really feel the pressure because I was at West Ham for a lot, a lot of time, so I, I, I know I know how players work, I know how players, you know, when to leave players alone, when to chat to a player, when not to chat to a player. Um, but again, leading back to the FA, it was such a professional organisation you felt you felt like it was just like a club level football. Um, although it was very professional, very very good. You had you had the likes of Liverpool players, Man City players, Chelsea players, um, and again we we tried to emphasise the fact that the food that we did was you know if anything was matching the training grounds where they were, or if not making it better for for them, and then getting ideas to go back to the training grounds or, or they would give us ideas of what they're using at their training grounds so, so it was quite quite a good setup. One story I, I did read and it goes back to before your time with England but 2002 Sven-Goran Eriksson apparently asked for Jaffa cakes to be part of the, the the food available is that something that you would say is a good idea it just seems a little strange to me. To be fair I mean again Times change with football. So when I first went into football, part of the the match day process, not so much the uh, day to day, but the actual match day, was uh, things like um, jelly babies, wine gums, jaffa cakes, anything sugary to get sugar into their body before a game. Which now is not as not as important. It's more it's more um, nutritional based stuff now as well. But yeah, you're right. It was. Jaffa Cates was always always a, a big part of of the match day, just to um, to give the players a little bit of a boost. Perhaps I can still make it. You know, <laughs> Jaffa Cakes, I like to nibble on. <laughs> I read a story about yourself um, and some rice pudding. <laughs> Do you want to enlighten us about that? Is that the Raheem, Raheem did, Sterling one? Yeah, Raheem Sterling was mentioned. Unless there's another one as yeah. well. No, we. I mean, I, I used to. We used to always make rice pudding. Uh, day before a game, so um, and basically, Raheem, as far as I know, used to love it because he used to say to me it was really nice. Um, and basically, we used to used to sort of try and make it every single day before a match game. But then Raheem would always ask for it every day, so he would always want rice pudding every day, which uh, I tried to accommodate as much as I could uh, and do it as healthy as possible. So, but yeah, he's a, he's a big he's a big rice pudding fan, which is which is good. I certainly made a point of it, even even down to like um, probably about four months ago. I went back to the England game, which is one of the first games that I'd gone back to. Um, got invited into the players' lounge, and Raheem was there, and he just said, "Oh, I miss your rice pudding." So, uh, so yeah, so it was it was quite good. Well, the other rice pudding story I heard about was a. Uh a 10-litre vat, one that went down a, uh, a lift shaft, yep. was that right? Yeah, yeah, yep, that's right. That was uh, it's basically, so the situation in hotels sometimes is, is that you're not necessarily on ground level. So you could be, uh, I could be cooking downstairs in the kitchen and then I've got to take the food three floors up to wherever the safe place was or the place that they'd chosen to eat. So basically I'd made uh, two what they call gastron trays of rice pudding um, put it onto a trolley, put it into the lift, um, got up to the second floor 
as I'm coming out of the second floor, the, the trolley's tipped slightly, uh, and actually both of the trays uh, sort of come down sideways, and both whole trays have gone down the whole lift shaft. Uh, and I still to this day, there was never a trace from different floors. We just couldn't. It had just literally just gone straight down to the bottom. So, so it had gone straight through. But, but again, that day they had no rice pudding. But um, which was a bit of a, bit of a um, you know, a bit of a headache. But um, but at the time, it was, it was quite funny. You took some stick for that, did you? Yeah, definitely did. Yeah, definitely did. You must have some other great little anecdotes you can share with us. Um, it's weird, you know, because. People think that a lot of things happen when you're away and stuff like that, but it's actually so organised and so pristine to what you're doing and time-wise and all that sort of stuff. You, you have a laugh and a joke, um, you know, at the right times. Um, but to be fair, I, 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 you know, we've had we've had a few little funny little things. Um, but on the whole, the players are, are always been, and, and even today, like when I when I retired from doing it, they were they were still top drawer. They like a laugh and a giggle as well, but again, it's, it's, it's at the right times. So, um, yeah, I mean, I've, to hand, I can't, I can't even think of anything at the moment. But there was, there were probably stuff that come to me, but, but it was, um, it was a good, it was a good time, especially when you go away and you, uh, you have a day off and you relax a little bit, you know, and you can, you can chill out with with some of the players. I mean, I used to chill out with Robert Green quite a lot because Robert Green was at West Ham. Okay. Um, so I'd, I'd always chill out with him. But then also I would know Michael Carrick. I would know Joe Cole. I would know the ones that have been at West Ham before as well. So, so obviously, and then the, the likes of John Terry and, and things like that. I'd, know, I'd known from previous people that, I, that knew them as well. So, so we used to get on get on really well, and it was like a big family. Um, but again, it was just uh, it was just like a machine. Sort of every day was 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 very similar. Um, you know, but organisation was brilliant. So many listeners will be like a a five-a-side match on a, a Monday night straight after work. What would you suggest for a uh, someone like me, just Joe Bloggs off the street, to uh, to put in his body before going out for a, for a kickabout? Do you know what? It's, it's funny because everybody says everybody says that about um, normal people, but at the end of the day, if you're playing football and you're playing it to a, a decent level, or you're playing five-a-side, whatever, you have to fuel your body, and that's what a lot of people don't do. It is that it doesn't really necessarily mean that you have to eat loads of carbs or eat loads of food, but it's just to eat a balanced diet before you actually play. Because if you play on an empty stomach or you don't rehydrate yourself properly, you're not going to perform as good as what you should do. Same with footballers. You know, like I say, if you get a footballer that's unwell, you know, slightly unwell, and they're dehydrated, you know, you can test the dehydration levels and then try and get their rehydration levels back up before they go and play. But but sometimes, you know, you, you'll see one player that doesn't play as well as what he should be, but that because uh, it could be of an illness, it could be that he's not, you know, he's not he's not feeling too good, stuff like that. So, so they're only normal people and they only get, you know, they get illnesses the same as everybody else does. Um, but again, supporters just expect them to perform every, you know, for 90 minutes, 100%. But if some of them are not, you know, not well, then that does, does, does affect their performance, but... But as I say, as a five-a-side sort of thing, I mean, for me, eating light food, not heavy food, so like scrambled eggs, toast, things like that as well before a game. And then obviously after the game is when you need to refuel to put in what you've taken out. So a lot of, a lot of people don't realise that players will lose up to two kilos in weight on the game. And that's due to water, water really. So the amount that they sweat now, um, so you have to re-put that back into your body. And that's why 
a lot of players have to refuel and rehydrate and, and do that after the game to get that those levels back out into their body. So in all that time, what's that? Um, nine nine years of being at England. What, yeah. what would say your highlight would be? Um, I'll be I'll be honest. I think I think I've had a I've had a blessed life in that in that respect. Whereas there's only you know to my knowledge since I've been doing it, there's only been me one other and then the guy that's taken home from me there's only three chefs in a, in a space of 25 years I think mm. so so I've been blessed to have been England chef for that long and the highlight for me really was was every single day I never I never didn't enjoy one minute of it even when we were not playing that good or you know the the, the actual behind the scenes was always uh, was set up so that it was never be able to fail off, off there and again, I think I used to kick, kick myself or pinch myself every single day because I never not enjoyed one minute of it. You know, every time that I met up for England, it was like it was like I was pinching myself every time because I enjoyed it and I enjoyed the company and I enjoyed the, the, the actual setup of working for the FA. But age creeps up on you, and uh, sometimes you think to yourself, you know, what it might be time for me to to, to, to give it up um, because you know I'm not getting any younger um, and give somebody else a chance to do it. So. But uh, again, for me, the, the whole the whole amount of years that I did it was was incredible, and I've got fantastic memories of you know just to be involved in, in two World Cups uh, and to be involved in Euro Championships and to be involved in any international game. I mean, I think I did 109 games. I think I did, which is quite you know it's quite a lot of games yeah. um, to do. Again, I, I don't think I ever woke up thinking I've got to go to work or anything. It was just, it was just a, a, a fun time and a very, very, very good job to have. So, so I pinch myself really. And, and what do you do with your time now? You retired. Well, again, I've retired from West Ham as well, so I don't work for West Ham anymore. Um, I've gone into partnership with a friend of mine that was uh, also he was player liaison officer at uh, Man City which is what I did at West Ham at the end of it I didn't actually cook at West Ham towards the end of it I was player liaison officer so um, so we've gone into business into a concierge company and we still look after probably 20-30 players um, we look after pop stars and we look after high net worth people um, just organising their lives really um, which could be anything from booking a restaurant to a hotel to a flight, um, getting a private chef in for them, uh, private dinner parties, uh, basically any, anything in their lifestyle that, that they need help with. So, so we've concentrated on that now. So, so I'm sort of I'm, I'm semi-retired from football, which is good because it literally football is it's a young man's game. You know, it's the same as a footballer. Like when you, when you get to 34, 33, 34, you, you know your legs are starting to get tired. Um, and the same as me, like cooking. I, you know, I'm, I'm 52 now. Um, I've enjoyed. Yeah, yeah. But I'm, I listen. I enjoyed every minute of doing what I've done. Um, again, West Ham. I did over a thousand games for West Ham and England doing that. I mean, it's a, it's a chef's dream to have have been, you know, the the head chef of, of the FA, um, looking after the first team, and and to be the head chef at West Ham. So yeah, so really, really thoroughly enjoyed it. But again, everything comes to an end. Well, I, uh, I wish you all the very best with the, uh, the future project and, and thank you very much for your time you've given us here. Pleasure, absolute pleasure.
there we go. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. And thank you to Tim for his time and insight. Another angle of the England operation that I wasn't aware of. Now, Tim can be found both on Twitter at Tim Diath and Instagram at Tim.Diath.3. Remember, you spell Diath, death, D-E-A-T-H. Give him a follow over there. Likewise, we are also on Twitter, Facebook, and also Instagram. Just search Three Lions Podcast. You should find us. And all previous episodes can be found at threelionspodcast.com and your usual podcast provider. It would be great if you can let us know what you think by leaving a positive review on the likes of iTunes. Or if you get in contact, please do, as I say, all the usual social media channels. Now, as I said, at the beginning of the podcast, we'll be back very soon, looking back on the She Believes Cup and the Nations League draw. Plus, this month, we'll have another of our supporters' memories of England at the European Championships. And we'll also have one where we preview Italy and Denmark too. So please do stay subscribed for those. So until then, cheers. Cheers.